Hallelujah. Father, we want to thank you this afternoon. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your loving kindness that is better than life. Thank you for the heavens that are open above us. Thank you for your, for your, for your name that is great in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, because you are worthy of our praise this morning. Thank you, Father, because you gave your son to us. Thank you, Lord, because you are in our midst this day. And Lord, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praises. And Father, we ask, oh God, that your presence will become stronger in this meeting. That which you started with us today, complete it before the end of this service. Let the entrance of your word bring light. Let it bring understanding. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Lord, at the end of this service, let your people go away from here encouraged to take the name of Jesus to the streets, to stand for the truth of the gospel in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And Father, we promise to give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the people of God say, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. Well, just to let you know that at the end of the service, there would be plenty of food in the car park. Amen. As we continue to uh, continue with our food fair in raising funds for our mission. Lots of food in the car park. Amen. And just to let you know that Pastor Colin is away uh, this week. is away uh, to Indonesia, sends his love. And I also want to say thank you to him for giving me the opportunity and the privilege to stand once again to minister to you. So good afternoon, Kensington Temple. Amen. And I also want to welcome those in the coronet uh, across the road, those people in the overflow behind me, downstairs in the lower hall. And of course, uh, so many of you that are watching on the internet and those of you who are downloading this message, may the peace of God be with you as we continue to fellowship together. Amen. Well, if you got your Bibles this morning, please go with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. The letter of Paul to his son, Timothy. And I want to read uh, from verse 1. Sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to read the whole chapter. And I want to read a few verses in chapter 4 also. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 1. And the title of my message is Perilous Times. Perilous Times. Verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lots, always learning 
and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janis and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be made manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and be, and be assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I'm going to read verse 6. It's not going to be up there uh, because I didn't give them. But I want to add this to it. Verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hallelujah. Wow. Here, the Apostle Paul was writing to his son in the ministry, his disciple, Timothy, and was warning Timothy about the last days. He was telling Timothy that in the last days, perilous times will come. Dangerous times will come. And he began to give Timothy a list of the things that will happen. And today, you only have to take a look at, you know, around us and see that such things are happening. And this was uh, some time ago. And we know that we are already in the last days. In fact, the last day started on the day, on, on the day of Pentecost. Because on the day of Pentecost, Peter, preaching to the crowd, said to them, what you are looking at, the speaking in tongues, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that you see, is what Joel had already prophesied that in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And this is what you are seeing. So from the day of Pentecost, we entered into the last days. 
Paul says here, in the last days. And sometimes when we read this scripture, when we look, when we, when we, when we hear about the end times or the last day, we are, we are focused sometimes in our heart about a particular day. No, we are already in the last days. And the last day started over 2,000 years ago. But here, we want to realize today that we are getting closer and closer to the end of time. And somehow, history has a way of repeating itself. God gave Noah a warning about the deluge that was coming upon the face of the earth. Noah's flood. And a lot of people despised that. They mocked him. We've never even seen rain, and you're talking about a flood. What has gone wrong with you? What is the problem with you? Why are you such a preacher of, of disaster? What is your, can't you see we are enjoying ourselves? Can't you see we are marrying and we are giving children in marriage? Can't you see that we are enjoying everything about ourselves? Exactly. They were lovers of themselves and not lovers of God. The things that Paul was writing to Timothy here was happening in the days of Noah. Nobody listened to the warnings of Noah until that day when God shut the door of the ark and then the fountains of the deep were opened. And suddenly, there was no longer any remedy. Now we know we are already in the ark of salvation provided by Jesus. And that is if you are here today, you are born of God. You are born of the Spirit. You are born again. You have a, a relationship with Jesus. You are already in the ark. You are saved. Because here, Paul was writing to a Christian. Not just a Christian, but also a minister. As church history tells us, Timothy was the first bishop in Ephesus. And so he was writing to a man of God, so to speak. He was writing to a Christian. He was writing to a born-again Christian. And so this warning also concerns us today. Paul is writing to us. Paul is teaching us. Paul is sending a message to us that the perilous times are around us. And as I've seen in my own life, and I've observed also in the life of so many Christians around me, because of the things that we've been, uh, that has been shoved at us, from the airwaves, from the newspapers, on television, 24-hour news and all that, we have grown accustomed to bad news. So much so, that when we read in the newspapers and we see on television and we see things that are appalling, things that should drive us to our knees as Christians and cry to God, like Habakkuk said, oh God, how can you be looking at all these things around? Won't you judge the wicked? We become desensitized. We've grown used to them. They make no difference to us anymore. We hear about the disaster in Spain and it doesn't even cross our mind how many of those people who died are going to heaven? How many of them have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And we become desensitized to the things around us so much so because we have been, we've seen so much violence that we are not moved anymore. So much so as Christians we are not worried we are not thinking even about our family members who, if they die today, they are not likely to make heaven. And Paul was warning Timothy and saying, you will see these things in the life of people. You will see people become lovers of themselves. They will continue to profess to be lovers of God, but they will actually love themselves. You will see children disobeying parents. You will see people becoming unthankful. And he began, he, he, he gave a list of things 
that are going to be wrong. People that will no longer endure sound doctrine. People who will argue with you about whether there is a literal hell or not. People who will say to you as a Christian, I don't believe that a loving God will send people to hell. And if there's no literal hell, if there's no hell at all, then Jesus must be a liar. Because he spoke about hell. And a lot of people would come. And the, the, the language today is that we, we've got to have some balance. And that's true. Just like the food that we eat, physical food that we eat, we need balanced diet. We need to be balanced in our, in our faith, in our religion. But sometimes when people talk to you about balance, they're talking to you about compromise. I was speaking to, you know, chatting with Pastor Vasilika. Pastor Vasilika, please stand up. Let's, let's wave to the crowd. Amen. This is the pastor from Romania. Amen. He's going to be here at the 2.30 service. Praise God. And uh, please come and listen to what he has to say about Romania. And, you know, when he talks to you about Islam in Romania, you know that Kolinda is not a crazy man. Oh, yes. Sometimes we need to hear what Pastor Colin tells us from other people who are really in the front line. Amen. And I was chatting to him, you know, uh, upstairs just a couple of minutes ago, and we're talking about how, um, you know, uh, uh, one of the prayer points that um, um, Esteban raised on the platform a couple of minutes ago about pornography be, you know, being banned on the internet, warnings coming. And he was saying, you know, this is the life of politicians. They, 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 they make laws that is against Christ, and then they throw something in there also. That make us think, oh yeah, these guys are really, really righteous. <laughs> At least they are doing something. It's like somebody taking one million pounds from you and giving you ten pounds in return. And that's the society we live in today. And one thing that I'm sure of is that righteousness is never going to come from 10 Downing Street. It's not going to come. Righteousness cannot come from the House of Parliament. Righteousness cannot come from the house of lords. Righteousness is not going to come from your local council. Righteousness can only come from the body of Christ. Because we are the only ones that understand righteousness. And so Paul was saying to Timothy, Look, the things I'm telling you are what we may call anti-righteousness. And when you begin to see these things around you, understand and know that the perilous times are here. And he was warning Timothy. He was preparing him. He was reminding him. And he was exhorting him. And we may want to ask, for goodness sake, this man is going to be the bishop. Why are you telling him all these things? Should he not know? Should you not realize that these things are there? No. This father was warning the spiritual son to be careful. Not to think too highly of himself that these things cannot happen to him. Probably Paul learned a lesson from Peter. Jesus said to Peter, You know, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. He's made a request to sift you, to shake you. But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. He said to Peter and to the disciples, Tonight, the shepherd of the sheep will be stricken and the flock will scatter. And Peter said, Lord, not me, 
I will go with you to jail. In fact, I will go with you to the death. In Luke chapter 20, 22. And Jesus said to Peter, said to Peter, Peter, before the cock crows tonight, you will deny me three times. Jesus was saying to Peter, perilous times are going to come tonight. It is inevitable. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be treated like a criminal. And you are all going to be afraid that you're all going to run away and leave me alone. And Peter said, not me. Lord Jesus, have you, I'm paraphrasing now, I'm putting my own words into it. Lord Jesus, have you forgotten what you said about me? I am Peter the rock. <laughs> and on this revelation, rock of revelation, you will build your church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Therefore, I'm going to be standing with you. But then Peter began to realize <laughs> when Jesus was arrested that maybe this man was telling the truth. The Bible says in Luke 22, as Jesus was being taken away, Peter began to follow afar off. That close relationship, that discipleship work. Now somebody was teaching about discipleship some time ago and he said, one of the greetings that the Jewish rabbis or the Jewish people would give to uh, disciples of a rabbi is that may the dust of your rabbi be upon you. Which simply means, may you follow in the footsteps of your rabbi. That wherever your rabbi puts his feet, you too should put your feet. So let the dust come upon you because you are following closely after your rabbi. But at this point, when that perilous time came upon the disciples, when their master was arrested, when persecution came upon Jesus, Peter, the man who said, I will follow you to the death, began to follow from afar off. When we as Christians begin to follow Jesus from afar off, there's only one result, denial. Because very soon, some people began to question him and confront him and say to him, your accent sounds like that of a Galilean. He said, no, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. In fact, not only that I don't know what you're talking about, you don't know what you're talking about. I wonder what I supposed to say. You are one of them. I saw you in the garden. He said, no. You probably saw my twin brother. Not me. I don't know this man. And then one little maid came and said, your accent betrays you. You are one of his disciples. And the Bible says that Peter began to curse. No, he said. Because perilous time came. And Peter the rock denied the master. People of God, we are walking into perilous times. We are being warned right now in Europe that we shouldn't talk about persecution yet. Because we are talking about persecution now. Christianity is being persecuted. No, we are not being persecuted. I'm beginning to believe that we are not being persecuted. But we are being marginalized. We are being marginalized. We, are not being, we, we don't know what persecution is yet. A sister in our fellowship in Walthamstow was speaking to my wife and I on Wednesday. She's just been given redundancy from her place of work. She was she's tired of working there anyway. She wants to go out on, and do business for herself. <laughs> and they gave her a letter to sign. And it's called a 
compromise agreement. And the compromise agreement says, you cannot sue us after you take this redundant, redundancy pay. If you sue us and we are asked to pay you, you will have to pay us back the redundancy we've given you. And I, I looked at the letter and I, I, I said to myself, this is not happening in Britain. <laughs> but it is happening in Britain. This lady was so persecuted for her faith. And she says, because of her color also. And she took it up with this particular company last year. And now that they want to give her redundancy, they included a letter of apology. We are sorry for what we did to you, but you still cannot sue us. You cannot ask for compensation. Because if you do, we will take back the money we are paying you. Now, please listen to me. She said to me, I'm not going to work tomorrow. And I said, you have to go. He said, Pastor Praise, if I go, I'll probably kill somebody. And I said to her, why? She said, ever since I got this compromise agreement, and I said, I'm going to the union. I want the union to look at what you're asking me to sign before I sign it. She said, I have gotten over more than 15 calls. People asking me to sign and sign and sign. They, they bullying me. And I don't want to go with that thought to the office. And I said to her, so, what are you going to do? He said, I'll send them. I'll walk from home. I'm not coming. And then she dropped <laughs> the bombshell. She said, the last, letter, the last call I got from my director was that if I don't sign this agreement before Friday, this was Wednesday evening, I will not be paid my salary for the month. And please think, think about it. What has her salary, her wages for the month got to do with compromise agreement? Absolutely nothing. So I said to her, stop right there. What you are going to do, you are going to go back home tonight before you go to bed. You are going to write an email to this director and you are going to say to this director, in view of our conversation today about my wages that I'm not going to be paid if I don't sign the compromise agreement, I'd like you to know that I'm not going to sign this compromise agreement until the union looks at this letter. So please let me know what you want to do. And of course, there was no reply. <laughs> but by Saturday morning, she was paid. The word I'm trying to get you to notice is compromise. Compromise. Paul was writing to Timothy here and saying, all these persecutions would come, not just suddenly, it would be too obvious. Gradual compromise would come in. Dudley was talking about the, the chicken and the bacon. <laughs> Sacrificial giving to the Lord. It would start with our time, unable to make time for devotion. 
Unable to make all the meetings that we come for. Unable to go to the cell meeting. The encounter comes and you've been preparing to go for the encounter and suddenly something comes up from work and you cannot go. And the enemy begins to distract us and give us excuses about how we cannot keep up. There's a lady also in our fellowship said, one of our friends said to her, your life is about church. You go to church on Sunday, you go to church on Wednesday, you go to cell on Thursday. What is the matter with you? Are you the one that crucified Jesus? <laughs> so I said to her, what did you say to, to this person? I said, I just laughed. I said, no. Next time, tell, tell them, your life is not about church. Your life is about Jesus Christ. Amen. Because he did say, didn't he, that unless you are, you are willing to take up your cross and follow me, if you are willing, you must take up your cross and follow me. And he goes on to explain what it means to take up the cross and follow him. It means you must hate your father. You must hate your mother. You must hate your brother. You must hate your sister. You must hate your friends. And then you must hate your own life. And what is he saying? Say, I am priority. Over everything, I am priority. He's using hate to, to sensitize us to the importance of seeking the kingdom above every other thing. No matter what is happening around you, he is still priority. There's no excuse that we can give to the Lord, our Savior, for compromise about the things that are important to him. And so Paul was saying to Timothy, you better be aware of these things. I'm warning you now. I'm preparing you now. I'm exhorting you. I'm, I'm doing all these things because when these things come, you must remind yourself that you are a man of God. And he said to him, you must preach the word. Now, in England, at least I can speak. One of the things that the enemy is trying to do is to take the word of God out of the public place. Out of the marketplace. And those of you who are in the marketplace, you know what I'm talking about. You know it's, it's a dangerous thing. It's a risk. It is perilous for you to want to preach the gospel to a colleague at work. You might end up at the employment tribunal. You might get suspended. For pushing your religion on somebody. Evildoers, wicked men, perverting the truth. You cannot say to somebody, God bless you in some places. Wow. In Britain, in Britain, you cannot go to work and say to somebody, God bless you, without getting persecuted. You cannot offer to pray for somebody without getting persecuted. People of God, perilous times are here. And we better be aware, like Paul was trying to tell Timothy, to be aware. Also, 
This warning is not, was not only mentioned by Paul. Peter, probably learning from his past mistakes, also wrote an epistle. Please go with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. Sorry, chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Peter writes and says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and I establish in the present truth, yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must be put off, I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my disease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God, the Father, honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard his voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have a prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy or scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of God, by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul said to Timothy, the word of God is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's good for doctrine, for rebuke, for reproof, for encouragement, and for all that. Peter says the same thing. And Peter says, just like Paul. Paul was writing to Timothy after he appeared before Nero the first time. He was a lonely old man. He was, he, he's been battle scared. This warrior of righteousness. This warrior of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man of war. This man who has suffered shipwreck. Who had been beaten with stripes. Who had been laid down with a basket over a wall. Who had been stoned and left for dead. This warrior is saying to Timothy his son. Don't let these things affect your faith. Don't let the persecutions that came to me affect your faith. Don't let the things that you have seen affect your faith. Remember the sound doctrine that you received from me. Remember the teachings. Remember your faith. Remember who taught you. Remember the things that you learned from me. Hold on to your faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And don't let persecution change your perception and your belief. And he was warning him. And here also Peter was warning his, his listeners. He was saying to them, I know you know this truth. In fact, you are established in this truth. But I will not be negligent in reminding you of these things because faith comes through hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. The more of it we hear, the more 
we can fight against insensitivity that the world has pushed upon us. I don't know about you. I fight insensitivity in my life every day. I don't want to be used. I don't want to get used to bad news. Another young man has been stabbed in East London today. Another girl had been lost, had been kidnapped by pedophiles. Uh, this one has happened again, and that one has happened again. And as Christians, sometimes we are not even driven to our knees to cry to God and say, Oh God, what is happening to our nation? Because we have become insensitive. And so Paul was warning Timothy, don't become insensitive. When you become insensitive, this is what is going to happen to you. Perilous times will overrun you. May that not be your portion in Jesus' name. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1 and chapter 2, the prophet Habakkuk was complaining to God, Oh God, what is happening? Why are you not judging the wicked? Why are you not doing... What is the, what is the matter with you, Lord? <laughs> I can't understand why the wicked are prospering and the righteous are not prospering. And God said to Habakkuk, you guys have turned away from me, so I'm sending all these enemies to come, and, to come and bring disaster upon you. And then Habakkuk replies in chapter 2 and said, Oh Lord, are you not God from eternity? You are our God. Your eyes are too pure to behold iniquity. And Habakkuk went on appealing to the character of God in chapter 2, in the first few verses. And then Habakkuk said to God, you are saying that we are going to die. Oh God, we shall not die. And God said, yes, Habakkuk. But let me tell you why and how you will not die. But first, write the vision down. <laughs> Make it plain. I'm telling you I'm bringing disaster upon your nation. Write it down. Write it down so that those who read it may run with it. And know that God is bringing, it's God that is bringing this disaster. And then he said to Habakkuk, but I will make a way of escape for my own people. And God said to Habakkuk, because the just shall live by faith. Yes, disaster is coming, but the just shall live by faith. Those who have put their faith and their trust in me, they will overcome this disaster by that faith that they have in me. They are the people that I have pronounced as just, and therefore their faith will give them the victory that they need. Can I hear you say amen? amen? So even in the midst of the storm that is coming, in the midst of the persecution that is coming, in the midst of the perilous times that are coming, why? Is there no escape for the children of God? Oh yes, God always has an ace up his sleeve. God knows how to deal with the enemy on our behalf. In the Garden of Eden, Satan thought, I won. But God had an ace up his sleeve. And his name is Jesus. <laughs> uh, Satan never took, he, 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 he didn't realize that Jesus is there to put his feet on his neck and take the keys of hell and death from him. He didn't reckon that. In the days of Elijah, Jezebel and Ahab were doing a lot of damage to the people of God. They were killing, Jezebel was slaughtering the prophets of God. Elijah thought, oh God, I'm the only prophet left. There's no, God said, no, Elijah. <laughs> you are my prophet and my servant, but you don't really know who I am. I have 3,000 people who have not bowed their knees to Baal. 
I hid them. I fed them. You don't know about them. God always has a way of escape for his people. To Habakkuk, he said, the just shall live by faith. To Timothy, Paul said to him, you must hold on to your faith. You must hold on to sound doctrine. And let none of us here today think when this pressure of life comes against us that we are not going to behave like Peter. We are not going to deny the Lord. That's why the Bible says to us, you that you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. It's by the grace of God that we stand. And we must continue to walk in that grace. The writer of Hebrews says, it doesn't matter what is happening around us. <laughs> we must understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That grace that came by the shedding of his blood has given us access into the throne room of Jehovah God. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You know, the Duchess of Cambridge has, has just had a son. The Duke and the Duchess of Cambridge, they have a son. George. He's no longer baby Cambridge. He's George, in, in case you don't know. George. You know, like me, you may be a monarchist. I'm a monarchist. I love the monarchy. I love the monarchy because it's the only godly institution that is still remaining in this country. You may not know it. But Her Majesty the Queen is a born-again Christian. Amen? amen. Please say amen. amen. <laughs> yes, yeah, she is born again. You might think, but she's not, you know, why she's not? Because her office, she's not just the queen of Christians. She's the queen of Hindus and Sikhs and Muslims and atheists and Republicans also. She's the queen of Republicans who don't even like her. Amen. But I want you to go on the internet and go on her website and look at all of her Christmas messages. And you will understand that she's a fantastic evangelist. I have been watching the Queen's speech since 2000 when I came to this country and have never been disappointed. She's a wonderful evangelist. She never went that she has that opportunity at Christmas time. She never shies away from telling people that she's a Christian. So I am a monarchist because the Queen is still an institution that represents godliness, at least a little bit in the public place. But let's come back to the Duke and the Duchess. They've just had a baby. And if you're like me, I like to walk to their door and give them a gift. Even if it's just one flower. You know, just to say, congratulations. But I won't be let in at the gate of Buckingham Palace. They won't let me in. And if I go to Kensington Palace... They won't let me in. If I go to Windsor Castle, they won't let me in. And the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge are not even on the throne yet. And I can't even walk into where they live. But I can walk into the throne room of God. I can walk into the throne room of God. And it doesn't matter what I've done, what I did yesterday. The Bible says I can come boldly, boldly, boldly. 
boldly to the throne room of grace. I can come boldly. And the Bible says, as I come into the throne room boldly, the first thing that meets me is mercy. Uh, mercy. Mercy. The Bible says we can come boldly into the throne room of grace and receive mercy and grace to help. Grace to help. Because we have a high priest that has gone through the heavens. His name is Jesus. He's not unaware of our weaknesses. Because he himself has gone through all the temptations that we're going through, but he did not sin. And so because of that, he understands our weaknesses and he can forgive us. And like the prodigal son, we can come back home ashamed. We can come back home in rags. We can come back home without shoes. We can come back home in rags and with nothing. But when we come within the range of the eyesight of the father, he runs to us. He embraces us with mercy. 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 The mercy of God. The mercy of God. So what is the solution to perilous times? Psalm 91 says, those that dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Hallelujah. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit is the key to overcoming perilous times. Those that dwell in the secret place of the Most High they abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Those that dwell. Not those that come once in a week. Oh yes. You know a lot of us think that by coming to church on Sunday we've done God a favor. How wrong can you be? You are really, really, really wrong. And you know. From the first time. God created man in the garden and the woman in the garden. His purpose for us has not changed. Fellowship with him. He created us first and foremost for fellowship. And everything we do for him. Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. All that must flow out of intimacy with God. It must flow out of dwelling in the secret place. There are a lot of Christians today. When they leave church this Sunday. And they close their Bible. It goes right under their table. And next Sunday. They want to come to church again. So they look for their Bible and say these children. Where have they put my Bible now? Children, where is my Bible? <laughs> That's not intimacy with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John, the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. The Word of God is God. We fellowship with Him. We have intimacy with Him in the Word. Sometimes our prayers are hollow. Our prayers are shallow. Our prayers has been reduced to a shopping list that we take to God all the time. We've become insensitive to things around us because we have no intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Lovers of money. Lovers of pleasure. 
rather than lovers of God. Why? Because there's no intimacy. No intimacy. Paul said that I may know him. That I may know him. That I may know him. And he wasn't talking about ordinary mental knowledge or academic knowledge. He was talking, uh, uh, as Bible teachers will let us know, that know there is almost the same thing. It's the same word that was tra translated in Genesis. And Adam knew his wife. And they had Cain as a son. Adam knew his wife again and they had Abel, their second son. It's intimate knowledge of God. Just like when God will come down in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden and will have fellowship with man. No wonder Paul always prayed the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The intimacy that the Holy Spirit, the relationship that the Holy Spirit forges between us and the Lord of glory. Intimacy. It's only those who dwell in the secret place that will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. They are the ones that will say to God, you are my rock and my fortress. You are my shield and my buckler. Those who dwell in the place of intimacy are those that can say to God, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk into persecution because of my faith, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You are with me. I know you are with me. And the problem today with us Christians, why righteousness is not there in our nation, is because we've forgotten sometimes what the psalmist says in Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not stand, who does not walk, and who does not sit. You see the progression of compromise. First, you stand in the company of wicked people. And before you know it, you start walking with them. And then if you are not careful, then you sit on the same table with them and do evil. But the psalmist says, but you must meditate in the word of God day and night. Then you'll be like a tree that is planted by rivers of waters. You bring out your fruit in your season. The leaves would not dry. And whatsoever you lay your hands on will. We prosper. Prosperity. Prosperity does not come by sending that tele-evangelist a thousand dollars to break the backbone of poverty. Is it true that you can break the backbone of poverty with a thousand pounds offering? Yes and no. You say, what do you mean? Yes, if God says so. No, if God has not said so to you. Prosperity comes by meditating in the word of God. Because wisdom comes. Wisdom will come to you. Wisdom to know what to do. You know, I think, I can't remember, I think it was Pastor Colin that was saying recently, 
Jesus said to Peter, when Peter was being confronted for taxes, Jesus said to, to him, go to the, to the sea and catch a fish. The very first one you catch, open the mouth. You'll find a coin. Go and pay for your taxes and mine so that we don't offend them. And we, you know, sometimes we think that was a mystery, a miracle, or even a ma magic. How did Jesus know that there is coin in the mouth of the fish? But then when you read history, you know that some people think that it's good luck when you throw coins into river. They do it in fountains now. You know, some people go to fountains and throw coins. You know, I wish they would give me, you know, the opportunity one day to go and sweep up those coins. And, you know, some of them have been there for 400 years, make a lot of money. And so Jesus knew that there would be a fish there that would have swallowed a coin. But by word of knowledge, he knew the first one. Don't worry, Peter, the first one, open it. Wisdom. The Bible said that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. But wisdom that will give you prosperity will only come from the word of God. And it doesn't matter the circumstances. And you, of course, you know, when I'm talking about prosperity, I'm not talking about money alone. Money is a symptom of prosperity. That's why the Bible says that, you know, your soul should prosper, even as... You prosper in all things, even as your soul prospers. What is the prosperity of having 10, 10 billion dollars in your account, 10 billion pounds in your account, and you don't have good health? You haven't prospered in health. And sometimes when perilous time comes, we focus on those things. I've got to pay my mortgage. You think God doesn't know? I've got to send my children to school. You think God doesn't know? And sometimes our wisdom... Is a wisdom that focuses our attention on the things that are beneath, not on the things that are above. The widow of Sarepta, let me conclude with this, must have known something that we are struggling to know today. She must have looked at that one coin, that last thing that she's got, and know that I can't live on this. <laughs> This can provide me a meal right now, but tomorrow I'll have no meal. And so who do I give this last coin to that I know can guarantee me a meal, not just today, tomorrow and the day after? And she decided to go and give it to God, sacrificially. You know, it's time you start spending time with the word of God sacrificially. Otherwise, the victory that's going to come, that must come into your life in perilous times are not going to be there. There's no magic. There's no shortcut. We must know God intimately. Otherwise, we will not stand in perilous times. I said something about the book Pastor Vasilika wrote a couple of years ago, about a few years ago, about persecution against Christians in, in communist Romania. How pastors... Were betraying each other when pressure came. How they allowed their brothers, Christian brothers and pastors, to be sent to labor camps to dig the canal. He showed us the canal in Medjidia. Slave camps. Please don't think when the pressures of life comes against you that you cannot deny Jesus like Peter did. The only way to overcome that perilous times is to stick to intimacy with your Lord and your Savior. When we stick to intimacy with the Holy Spirit and let him continue to show us who Jesus is, 
When perilous time comes, we may be shaken, we may be rattled, like Paul, we may say we are oppressed, we may we are persecuted, but we are still alive. We will make, through, we will make it through the storm of life. But that victory can only come from the place of intimacy, from dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. All heads bowed and all eyes closed. Let us pray. It all starts with intimacy with God. And we may have people here today, you have not come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't even know. You, you are struggling to comprehend the things I'm saying today. And that's because you haven't understood what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary. I'm going to ask us to pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask you to respond to that prayer. If you want to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ today. And somebody is going to come and stand with you and explain the gospel to you at the end of the service. Shortly in the room behind me. And you come to understand what intimacy means with the Lord of glory. That's the first call. The second call will be for those people who you've had this intimacy before. But something happened along the line. Along the way something happened to you. That relationship was broken. That fellowship was broken. You are struggling in the place of intimacy. I want to pray for you also. But please, I want us to pray this prayer together. And I want you to say loud and clear after me. Please say with me, Lord Jesus Christ. I come to you today. I believe with my heart that you are the Son of God. I believe with my heart that God sent you into the world to die for my sins. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to forgive me my sins. I ask you to cause your blood to wash me from all my sins. I ask you to come into my life today and be my Lord and be my Savior. Write my name in your book of life. I want you to reign and rule in my life from this day until eternity. In Jesus' name. All eyes closed and all heads bowed, please. I only want the consolidators moving around. If you are praying that prayer for the first time, acknowledging Jesus, asking him to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior, I want you to lift up your hand and I will acknowledge that hand and then you can bring it, bring it down. Today, you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You want to come into intimacy with him. You want him to become your Lord and your Savior. In the coronet, in the back hall, in the overflow downstairs. I want you to lift your hand up. I will acknowledge it and ask you to bring it down. And then, this prayer is especially for you. Is there anybody here today you want to come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? An intimate relationship with the Lord of glory. You have been invited by a friend. You have been asked to come. You may not fully understand what I'm saying, but take this first step as a step of faith. Lift that up right now. In the name of Jesus, lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. And thank you, my sisters. There are two sisters down there. God bless you. There's a sister to my left here. God bless you. In the balcony, in the coronet, in the overflow. 
any other person before we pray. My brother up there, lifting up his hand, God bless you. You want to come into this intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. I hope the consolidators have noticed, uh, no, noted those people. Now, the second call I want to make is for people whose fellowship with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, is not what it used to be anymore. You are struggling. When you are praying, you are sleeping. When you are reading the word, you are falling asleep. You are tired. You, you, you don't seem to be able to make time for that time, for those, for those times in your life when you used to fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you, but I want you to stand. You're a Christian. You have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the fellowship with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, is no longer what it used to be in your life. You haven't really backslidden. You have not denied the Lord. You just want to come back again into that place of intimacy. Stand to your feet now. Stand, 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 stand. My time is up. I want to pray with you. 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 You want that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit again. You want the fire of God. You want the fire of God again in your life. You want that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You want that anointing to come back again. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet as we pray. Hallelujah. 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 In the book of Daniel, it is written, Daniel was praying and fasting. And he said, I became weak. And sometimes in our lives as Christians, we become weak in our walk with the Lord. We become battle scared. We become wary. The enemy throws stones at us. We have fought so many battles. We, we become tired. We can't even pray. We can't even sing. We can't even read our Bible. But the angel of the Lord came and touched Daniel. And Daniel said, I was quickened. My spirit was quickened. I pray for you today. I prophesy over you. Your spirit will be quickened in the name of Jesus Christ. The, the word of God will be like fire shut up in your bones in the name of Jesus Christ. I command the spirit of weariness to leave you. I command tiredness to, to, to leave you. I command everything that takes your attention away from the word of God to leave you now in the name of Jesus Christ. I ask that the Holy Spirit will strengthen you in the place of prayer. In the place of the word of God. Let that anointing come back upon you. Let fresh fire come upon you. Let strength come upon you. In the name of Jesus. Let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow upon you right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. Receive strength in your spiritual life. Let your walk with God become stable. In the name of Jesus Christ. I come against the spirit that causes Christians to backslide. I come against fear in your life. In the name of Jesus Christ. I speak to your life. God has not given you the spirit of fear. He has not given you the spirit of fear. But out of love, of power, and of soundness of mind. Let it be so upon you right now. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you Lord Jesus. For we pray with faith and with thanksgiving. In Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good afternoon. Thank you, Gabriel.